Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. It is Thanksgiving this week. Hopefully you didn't forget and you've already told, pulled your turkey out of the freezer. <clears throat> so we're, we're going to focus on that this morning, on the topic of Thanksgiving, specifically from Philippians chapter 4. But before we get into that, I want to share a little bit about a family tradition that we have around Thanksgiving. And if I'm honest, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble for this this morning. It's nothing to do with the Thanksgiving, it's just my perspective on it. So this is common. Um, wasn't, when, wasn't when I was growing up, but probably about 10 years ago, one of my sisters came up with the idea that when we sit down at the table for Thanksgiving, everyone should go around and say what they're thankful for. You've probably heard of that before, familiar with it. And it's a good idea. Uh, in fact, it's actually far too easy in the midst of the day of Thanksgiving to forget to be thankful for anything. You end up just eating a lot of food and then passing out while you're watching football, and you didn't actually talk about or think about what you were thankful for that day. And so that was the idea behind it. And uh, we should all share what we're thankful for. And it's a good idea. There's a good principle behind it, but practically, I hate it. I don't like doing it. I don't know if there's any, any others of you out there that are with me on this. But it's, and it's not that I'm not a thankful person. I'm a thankful person, but how are you supposed to answer that question? What's the right answer? Because you can't just sh- share whatever comes to your mind. Um, you've you've got to think through it a little bit. So I can explain a little bit if you're confused. I'll give some examples of the wrong answers to this question. So I want you to imagine you're sitting around that Thanksgiving table with your family or friends, and people are going around sharing what they're thankful for, and all of a sudden it comes to your turn, and you realize that you should have thought of this before, and you, but you haven't been thinking about it, and now you've got to come up with an answer off the top of your head. So as you look around, what do you see? The food. The beautiful, wonderful, delicious food in front of you. So you just say, I'm thankful for food this year. I mean, you can be thankful for food, but it's kind of shallow, isn't it? Like, people are kind of thinking, like, man, your family's here, all, all this other stuff going on in your life, and you're thankful for food? Come on, you can do better than that. So you can't say food. So what's the next idea that comes to your mind as you look around? You see your family. Oh, I'm thankful for family. Well, that should be a good answer, right? But what's the problem? It's, it's too obvious, it's too generic. Everybody can say they're thankful for family. Like, it, it's, it's the kind of answer you give when you haven't been thinking about what you're thankful for. Because you can't say family. That's too, that's too obvious, too generic. You need to be more unique. You need to be more specific. And you can't call out a family, single family member because then everybody else feels left out. So maybe you could talk about your job. I'm thankful for my job this year. That's unique about me. That's a good thing to be thankful for maybe. But what is it about your job that you're thankful for? Is it because, you know, we had a good year, I made lots of money, or I just really love the job that I have? Because the problem with that is there's some other people sitting around that table that maybe don't feel the same way. Maybe their job hasn't been going well or they got laid off or, or they don't like the job that they're in and now you've made them feel bad about their life by sharing that you're thankful for your job. That's one of the rules in the Thanksgiving game is you can't make other people feel bad about their lives. So you can't, you can't say you're thankful for your job. So that leaves one more thing. What if you just say, I'm thankful for Jesus this year? Is that a good answer? Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a good answer, but, but once again, what are people going to think? You know, you might have some that kind of roll their eyes like, oh, here's Mr. Spiritual again, just trying to be better than everybody else. 
What about all those people that went before you? What are you saying about them now? You know, you can imagine being one of those other people like, oh, so I'm not thankful for Jesus? Thanks a lot. (laughs) You can see my dilemma with this game. What is the right answer to share? Well, I've got good news for you. By the end of this sermon today, you will know the correct answer to share in the Thanksgiving game this Thursday. And we're going to find that in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Now, we're going to read this in a moment, and what you're going to see is that the word thankfulness, the word thank, doesn't actually show up at all in this passage. And it might seem kind of weird why this passage for the topic of Thanksgiving. But we're going to see there's an underlining theme of thankfulness and contentment here. And the question we're trying to answer here this morning, at least initially, is what is Paul thankful for? That's the first thing that we're looking for. What is Paul thankful for? Because that's going to help us to know what we should be thankful for. So I know it's a little bit harder around the tables, but if you can, let's stand and read God's word together. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. This section of scripture is very personal. Now, all the letters are in the context of Paul's relationship with that local church, but especially this section here. He's referring to a lot of events that have happened. And so it's going to help us, in order to understand what's, what this passage is talking about, it's going to help us to have some context of Paul's relationship with the Philippians and, and kind of what has led up to this point. So in order to do that, we have to go all the way back to Acts chapter 16. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I'm just referencing that. This is when Paul first shows up in Philippi, and uh, he finds some women uh, at a place of prayer near a river, and he shares the gospel with them, and they believe, and they start the first church in Philippi. Not too long later, he actually gets arrested for preaching the gospel, at least that's what they accuse him of, and he ends up spending a night in jail. It's, if you remember, that's where the, they're, they're singing and praying, and the doors open up, um, but they stick around, and then the next morning, he gets released, but he gets kind of run out of town. And the next place he goes is to Thessalonica. And that was mentioned here, that almost immediately that Philippian church started supporting him as a missionary. They sent, they sent um, resources, food, or money to him in Thessalonica to help support him there. So he's had a long, he's had a long relationship with the Philippian church, and they've, they've helped him. They've supported him. In fact, they were the only ones at that time to start supporting him. Not, none of the other churches had done that. They were the first. But now it's been a while. And they haven't had the opportunity to give to him. They haven't had the opportunity to help him for a long time now until 
now. Finally, they've had the opportunity and they've given to him. They sent Paphroditus with a gift for him and he's received it. Now he's writing a letter back to them. That's all important as we come to verse 10 here where it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I just described that. They have wanted to give. He's recognizing and appreciating their gift. And he's recognizing that they've wanted to give for a long time, but they haven't had the opportunity. Maybe just because Paul has been out and about on missionary journeys. And you think back then it was harder to get somebody money. They couldn't just send it on Venmo or something like that. They had to have someone bring it to him. So they haven't had the opportunity to do that. But now, now that he's in prison in Rome, they've had the opportunity to to give to him, to be generous, and to give to his needs once again. So he, he recognizes the gift that they gave him, and he appreciates it. And we're getting right about to the time where you would think he'd be saying thank you. It's time for him to say thank you so much for what you sent me. It's so wonderful. But he takes a different turn. In verse 11, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need. He actually kind of says, hey, thanks for the gift. I didn't really need it, though, which is a funny way of saying thank you. But I think he's, he's doing it for a couple reasons. Maybe the first reason is he's wanting to make sure that they know that, um, you know, if, if he had made a big deal out of this gift that they gave him, like, hey, thank you so much. I was starving. I was cold. I was dying. And, you know, your gift saved my life or something like that. That might make them feel bad about them not having the opportunity to give for so long. But I think, I think the other main reason is this is a teaching opportunity for Paul. He's going to use whatever situation he has to turn it into a teaching opportunity to teach them something from, from God's word, some truth about God. And so that's what he's doing here, and that's the benefit that it is to us that Paul turns this into a teaching moment. So he says that he doesn't need it, verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's describing that he has learned the secret to contentment. Whatever situation, he knows how to be content. There's a phrase here that's repeated twice that's important. It says, I have learned. This took time. Paul has learned this. It wasn't always true about him. And I can say, it's probably safe to say that Paul has learned this from experience. Paul has experienced being in low places. He's experienced being in very difficult situations, being in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison right now. He knows what what it's like to be in a low situation. But he also knows what it's like to be in a good place. He knows what it's like to abound, to have plenty, to not be hungry. He's experienced both of those things. And the key here is he can be content in either of those circumstances. No matter what's going on in his life, He can be content. There's a verse in Proverbs chapter 30. It says, God, give me neither poverty nor riches. If I have riches, I will forget about you because I won't need you anymore. And if I have poverty, I will speak against you. I'll resent you. And that's a great verse. And I've heard a lot of people say it. I've said it before. And yet, I think Paul would say it a little bit differently. I think Paul would say, God, give me either poverty or riches because I've learned the secret to being content. Either way, no matter what circumstance, I can be content. So what is the secret to contentment? How has he learned? What is it 
that is true that helps him to be content in whatever circumstance? Well, verse 13 is the answer. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When you first read that, that's kind of vague. What does that mean? Well, we're going to come back to that because we need to understand some other things first. And then we'll come back to verse 13 to find the secret to being content. So we continue on. We're still asking that question, what is Paul thankful for? We haven't quite gotten to it yet. Um, And this next section, he reiterates once again his recognition and appreciation for that gift that they sent to him. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. He's he's appreciating what they've sent to him. And then he, uh, he goes over some of that stuff that we talked about, some of that context, the relationship that he's had with them when they've given to him before. Then we got all the way to verse 17 and we find out what he's actually thankful for. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases toward your credit. What he's saying here is, I'm not thankful for the gift. I'm thankful for the thought behind the gift. You've heard the expression, it's the thought that counts. And that's what he's talking about here. And if you look at Paul's situation, you can understand this. I just want you to think. He's had this long relationship with them. He helped start the church in Philippi. And now it's been many years later. And what's one of the most wonderful things for him to hear is that they're still walking in faith. And in fact, they're living out their faith by being generous towards others, by being generous towards him. The Apostle John, in his third letter, says something similar when he says, no great, he has no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Isn't that the most wonderful thing? He, he helped start their faith. He helped encourage them in their faith. Uh, he shared the gospel with them. And now, however many years, maybe 10 years later now, he sees that their faith is still alive. Not only that, they've grown in their faith. And they're living out their faith by being generous toward other, others. And he sees that in their generosity to him. We experience this when kids give us gifts. If you have your own kids, you've definitely experienced this with kids giving you a present, giving a gift. And um, because it's more about the thought, isn't it, than the actual gift itself. It's the idea that they wanted to give a gift to you. I experienced this this last spring. Um, If some of you remember, I went through the ordination process last spring and we had my ordination ceremony. And right before we were going to have that ordination ceremony, my kids went up to my wife, to Jill, and said, hey, can we get dad a present for getting ordained? And what was so cool is it wasn't, it's not even like a gift-giving ceremony. Like you don't have, it's, it's not about giving gifts or anything like that. But they knew something was happening. They didn't even really know what was going on. They didn't understand the ordination thing. But they knew something was happening and they wanted to honor me. They wanted to love me by getting me something. Now, let me ask you a question. Ultimately, at the end of the day, who paid for that gift? Now, I want to be fair to my kids. I can't, I can't, I got to be fair to my kids. They did chip in. They did pay for part of it. But the rest of it, I paid for. But that doesn't matter. When they gave it to me, and they were so excited to give it to me, it was that I could see their generosity. I could see their love for me in giving that gift. And that's what Paul's thankful for here. He's thankful that he can see the fruit of their faith. They're living out their faith and their generosity to him. So we see what Paul is thankful for here, but then we get to another really important verse. Verse 19 says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is another key verse in this passage, verse 13 and verse 19. But in order to understand it, 
we're going to have to go back and look at some other passages so that we can get what's really going on here and we can see what are we supposed to be thankful for. So, like I mentioned, in order to do that, we're actually going to go back and we're going to go through several passages throughout the whole book of Philippians. And this is actually kind of cool because this is, a, this is an in-between sermon. We're not in the middle of a series. We, we just finished Revelation. We're going to start the Advent series next week. And so this is kind of a one-off series at a random passage in Philippians. Not random, but you know what I mean. Um, and so this is an opportunity actually to get, the, get an idea of the whole book of Philippians, at least from that pers- particular theme of Thanksgiving. So that's what we're kind of looking at through this is, is what is the pattern What do we see here? And there's going to be seven passages that we go through, and I'm going to pull out seven principles from those passages. Now, this is not a seven-point sermon. You need to write all these down and memorize them or anything like that. Just look for the pattern. Look for overall what do you see um, is in common between these different principles from these passages. They will be up on the screen. So the first one is uh, Philippians 1, 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. So we do have the word thank in there. That's good. Uh, The big question here, there's two questions. Number one, who is Paul thanking? And number two, what is he thanking them for? And it's pretty obvious he's thanking God. So Paul is thanking God. What is he thanking him for? For partners in the gospel. Paul is thanking God for partners in the gospel. The Philippians are his partners in the gospel. Not only as supporters of his mission, you know, he's, he's a missionary that they're supporting, but also just in that they've got the same mission. Their, their mission is to share the good news of Jesus with the people around them. And so they are co-workers, they are partners in that mission. And so Paul is thanking God for partners in the gospel. That's the first one. The second one comes just a few verses later in verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance, advance the gospel. The question that comes up in our minds there is, okay, what happened to Paul? He's saying that what happened to him has advanced the gospel. Well, what happened to him? Well, Paul's referring to the fact that he's in prison in Rome right now. And this is actually amazing that he can, be, he can say what has happened to him, he's in prison, and it's actually a good thing because it's advanced the gospel. And when you know the context of why he's in prison and what's going on with that, it's crazy. I was just reading through Acts this last week. Um, It's actually, if any of you do the F260 with your D group, um, you were reading through Acts this last week as well. And uh, it's telling the story of how he ends up in prison in Rome. And he spends two years in Caesarea before finally um, he appeals to Caesar. They're going to send him off to Rome. And the guy who's getting everything ready to send him, he he realizes that they've never charged him with anything. They've never charged him with a crime. He's been there for two years. They've never charged him. So he goes to another guy and goes, hey, uh, what, what do we write in the note that we're sending him with? Like, they're going to be confused when he gets there and he hasn't been charged with a crime. Why are we doing this? We've got to come up with something to charge him for so that he can be in prison in Rome. And, like, he's been unjustly, unfairly in prison for the last two, more than two years now at this point. And what can he say? It's a good thing. Because is it, it has advanced the gospel. He's the opportunity to share Christ with the people around him. And that's a contrast to where we're at today. I think a lot of Christians, we tend to be adverse to persecution. Um, we've gotten used to uh, 
religious freedom in this country, and whenever it gets taken away or, or the threat of it gets taken, the threat of it, the threat of getting it taken away is mentioned, there's an outcry. Oh, this isn't fair. You can't treat Christians this way. This isn't right. And yet my question is, is it seems like we're missing the point a little bit. I got an email a few weeks ago. It was kind of one of those mass marketing emails, and um, it was describing uh, people in Nigeria, Christians in Nigeria, being killed for their faith. And it went on to say that kind of their whole point was we needed to pass legislation in the United States that would somehow help protect Christians in Nigeria. I don't know exactly how it worked, but that was kind of their goal. And it led you to a website that was called stopkillingchristians.org. Now, I have to be careful here with what I say, um, because it's not like I'm against, it's not like I'm for killing Christians. I don't, I don't like the idea of killing Christians. I'm not in favor of that or anything like that. But I kind of felt like something kind of pushed me the wrong way with it. Um, because it seems our ultimate goal is not to protect the lives of Christians. Our ultimate goal is to spread the gospel. Revelation 12.11 says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. The New Testament gives us a picture, gives us an understanding that we will be persecuted. We will be killed for our faith in Christ. And that's okay. We can keep moving forward. We can keep sharing Jesus. So don't get me wrong. I want Christians to live and to keep sharing that good news. But even if it's at the cost of their own lives, that's okay. Because God has given us a mission to share the good news with the people around us. Paul can be thankful for persecution because it advances the gospel. So Paul is thanking God for partners in the gospel. He's also thanking God for persecution because it advances the gospel. That's the second one. Number three, still in chapter one here. Um, there's, a whole, there's a great section, 21 through 25. I'm just going to read the first verse of that, though. So verse 21 says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The rest of it kind of expands on that more, but we get the idea to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is in a life or death situation right now. He's in a life or death situation. And what is his mood? What is his attitude right now? He's content. Now let me ask you, have you ever been in a life or death situation before? What was your mood? What was your attitude in that life or death situation? Were you just content? Yeah, sounds good. Probably not. And yet what he's describing here is either way he's content. It connects back to his content in all circumstances. If he lives, then he lives for Christ. And that's great because he gets to continue to spread the gospel and encourage other believers. And that's wonderful. But if he dies, that's even better because he gets to be with Christ. To, To live is for Christ and to die is to be with Christ. And so in either situation, he's going to be content. So Paul can thank God for Jesus whether he lives or dies. Paul can thank God for partners in the gospel. He can thank God for persecution because it advances the gospel. And he can thank God for Jesus, whether he lives or dies. The fourth one in Philippians 2.14, beginning of Philippians 2 is just this wonderful description of Jesus and his humility dying on the cross for our sins. Then we get to verse 14 and it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling, disputing, complaining, arguing. All these things are the opposite of being thankful. 
when we complain, we're not being thankful. We're, we're being discontent with what we have. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about where does that discontentment come from? Why are we discontent? And the first thing that I thought of is <clears throat> that discontentment is a denial of the sovereignty of God. We're discontent because we don't believe that God is in control. And that's true, but it's not the whole truth. There's actually something else here. Because there's plenty of people that believe that God is in control, and they complain about him all the time. That's their whole thing, actually. God, if you're in control, why are you allowing these things to happen? Whatever's happening in my life is not good. I don't see this as good. And so, why are you allowing this to happen if you really are in control? And as I thought about that, that helped me to kind of come to a better understanding. Discontentment is a denial of either the sovereignty of God or the goodness of God. Either God is not in control or he's not good. When we complain, that's what we're saying. And if God is in control, but I complain about my life circumstances, then he must not be good. And this, I mean, this goes back all the way to the garden, right? I know best. I know what should be going on in my life. I know what's best for me. And God, you're not doing that, so you must not be good. The flip side of it is that we believe that God's good, but he's not in control, so it's not really his fault that the circumstances in my life are bad. And so I can't blame it on him, but I can still complain because life's not fair. And the truth is, and I'm willing to call all of us out on this, myself included, whenever we complain, we're believing one of those two heresies. Either God is not in control or he is not good. Let's just call it as it is. Because the truth is, we can be thankful because God is in control and he is good. Paul can be thankful because God's in control and God is good. Number five is Philippians 3, 7 through 11. I'm just going to read verses 7 and 8 here. Um, And this is, Paul has just talked about all of these things that he could be proud of. Kind of his, his ancestry, his history, what he grew up with. He could be proud of these different things, but then he gets to verse 7 and he says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. <clears throat> Paul has just explained all these things he could be proud of. And then he comes in and he says, and it's all worth nothing. He actually considers them garbage, or excuse me, crap, compared to knowing Jesus as his Savior, knowing Jesus as his Lord. Paul can thank God for Jesus because Jesus is enough. All those other things he could be thankful for are nothing compared to being thankful for Jesus because Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. So Paul's thanking God for partners in the gospel, thanking God for persecution because it advances the gospel, thanking God for Jesus whether he lives or dies, being thankful in all circumstances because God is in control and he is good, and Paul is thanking God for Jesus because Jesus is enough. Number six, still in chapter three here, verses 19 and 20 says this. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christ. What are your priorities on? What is your focus on in life? Is it on earthly things or is is it on heavenly things? As you get to Thanksgiving this Thursday, you could be tempted to be thankful for the food. And that's not wrong. We can be thankful for the food. But how far do you take that? Verse 19 said, their God is their belly. Has has food become an idol for you, that it's so important for you that it actually is the most important thing in your life? We don't want to get to that point. And it's this whole idea of, is your perspective on earthly things or is it on heavenly things? We were in the, the... group on the study on Monday morning, um, where we, we looked toward the sermon the next week, one of the guys brought up this as we talked about focus and priorities, and he actually got this out of the screw tape letters. But when we look at the past, when we're focused on the past, we tend to focus on our failures and our regrets. When we're focused on the future, we tend to get a stupid confidence, like, I can do it on my own, I know how to do this, I'll be great, or we get a paralyzing fear. I don't know what the future looks like and I can't handle it. So if we're not supposed to focus on the past and we're not supposed to focus on the future, then what do we do? We live today in light of eternity. We live today in light of eternity. I can be content with what God has given me today because I know that I have a glorious future in Christ. And that's the key to contentment. That's the key to true thanksgiving is to live today in light of eternity. So Paul can thank God for heavenly, eternal things. Now we come to the last one. This one's in Philippians 4, and we finally get to the word thanksgiving that we've been looking for all along. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Earlier, we talked, about, um, we talked about grumbling being the opposite of thanksgiving. And here we find another opposite of thanksgiving, and that's anxiety. And the truth is, the world that we live in, there's a lot to be anxious about. And so what do we do when we're anxious? Because we're not going to be thankful when we're anxious. Well, it tells us what to do right here. We, we go to God. Don't be anxious, but in everything with prayer And asking God, supplication, asking him for things. Um, Make your requests known to God. And there's another key thing in here. With thanksgiving. When we're overwhelmed by what's going on in the world, when we're paralyzed with fear because we don't know what's going to happen in the future, we bring that before God. We bring our requests to him. And we do that with thanksgiving. And when we do that, when we can thank God and we remember the things that we have to thank God for and we bring these requests for him, what happens? What does it say here? It says he'll give us the peace of God which surpasses understanding. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like contentment. The peace of God which surpasses understanding. Being content, being thankful in Christ. Paul can be thankful because God is in control and Jesus is enough. That was the last one. I want to go through and review these once again. You don't have to write them all down or anything, but look for the pattern. Look for the connections that you see between them. Number one, we can thank God for partners in the gospel. Number two, we can thank God for persecution because it advances the gospel. Number three, we can can thank God whether we live or die because we have Jesus 
Number four, we can be thankful in all circumstances because God is in control and he is good. Number five, we can thank God for Jesus because Jesus is enough. Number six, we can thank God for heavenly and eternal things. And lastly, number seven, we can be thankful in all circumstances because God is in control and Jesus is enough. There's two things that stand out to me in that list. The first one is who we are to be thankful to. Who are we supposed to be thankful to? To God. And we are to be, who are to be, what are we to be thankful for? Jesus. If God is sovereign and in control, then ultimately all of our thanks should be to him. And I'm not saying that we can't be thankful to other people. That's okay. But ultimately, we have to recognize that all good things come from God. So ultimately, first, we are thankful to God. And then we get to that second part. What are we thankful for? That's the secret to thankfulness that we're talking about here this morning. It's Jesus. I mentioned earlier we were going to come back to chapter 4, verse 13. And so here we are in 13 again, and it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We often take this verse out of context, and we think that we can accomplish whatever we want because God is with us, but that's not quite the truth. What it's really saying here is that we can bear all things, we can endure anything through him who gives us strength. And in the midst of the difficulties in life, we can get through it all because Jesus is with us. Because Jesus has died on the cross for our sins and he's given us new life in him. Paul even kind of talks about this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as he's talking about the thorn in his flesh. And he asks God that he would remove it from him. He'd take this affliction away from him. Three times he asks God. And all three times God does not answer that prayer. And finally God says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect and your weakness. Ultimately, in the end, what's all that we need? What God has already given us in Christ on the cross, his death for our sins. When I'm thankful for Jesus, I am content in him. Then we go to verse 19 to complete this, to get the whole idea here. Verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. There's two questions that come up. Number one, what are their needs? What are our needs? And number two, what are the riches in glory in Christ Jesus? As we think about needs, as we think about the Philippians' needs, as we think about our needs, we often tend to think of those physical earthly things like food and shelter. And it's not that we don't need those, but especially when you connect this to the riches that are in the riches and glory in Christ Jesus, it doesn't quite make sense. The riches and glory in Christ Jesus are not mashed potatoes and gravy on Thanksgiving. And so it really drives us to think about what are our real needs, and our real needs are spiritual. We were dead in our sins, with no hope for the future, with nothing to be thankful for. But God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. We are made alive together with Christ We are given a new spiritual life in him right now through his death and his resurrection. Christ died for our sins and rose again so that we could have life, eternal life in him. And that's what all of this is about today. It's about the gospel. What should we ultimately be thankful for? We should be thankful for Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins. That's the secret to thankfulness. We have to be thankful For Jesus, because no one can ever take that away from us. 
What if your ultimate gratitude is in things that can be taken away from you? What happens when inevitably those things are taken away from you? Berta Coburn knows this better than anyone right now. She shared with us at the church meeting last week about what her life has been like the last year and a half. Her sister died. Her husband died. Her house burned down. Her, some of her friends died. And finally, her identity was stolen. If there's anyone who has a right to not be thankful right now, it's Berta. And yet, what did she share last week? After she described all of these events that have taken place in the last year and a half, what did she say? She said, and God is so good. How can she say that? How can she say that God is good after all of those things have happened to her? It's because her ultimate hope isn't in that, isn't in those things, it's in Christ. Her ultimate thanksgiving isn't in the gifts that God has given her, but in the giver of gifts himself, God who has given us Jesus. If in this life I am most thankful for the gifts that God has given me, then I'll be thankful only for my wife, my kids, for my job, my house, my friends, and my family. But if they're ever taken away from me, I'll despair. I'll turn from God, I'll grumble and complain, and I'll lose all hope in my life. And that's what happens every day on a small scale. When things don't go my way and I complain about it, it's because I'm not remembering what I should ultimately be thankful for. But if first and foremost, if primarily we are thankful to God for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, then no one can ever take that away from us. We will be like Paul, knowing the secret to contentment, being content in whatever circumstance that we're in, because no one can take away Jesus from us. We will believe that God is in control and that Jesus is enough. Now, I want to be clear here this morning. It's okay to be thankful for other things. I'm not saying you can't be thankful for anything else but that. But don't let those other things that you're thankful for overshadow your thankfulness to the giver of gifts for the greatest gift that he ever gave, which is Jesus. Jesus is all that we need. And if we are thankful for him, if we're content in him, then we will never be wanting of anything. So finally, as we get to the end here, I promised you that I would have the answer to the Thanksgiving game if you play that this Thursday. So what is the only right answer to what you're thankful for this year? It's Jesus. And I know I already ruled that one out, but I'm going to bring it back because it's, it's Jesus. Now, I would encourage you to make it personal. You don't just have to say Jesus. You can share, you know, this year I'm thankful to God for Jesus and dying on the cross for my sins and giving me a new life in him because, you know what, this last year was hard. Not, not any like big stuff going on, but just life's difficult and raising kids and taking care of a wife and a house and all the different stuff going on in life, it's hard. And there's a lot of times that I just wanted to give up. I just wanted to be done. I didn't want to keep pushing forward with these things. Then I remembered what Jesus has done for me. And I remembered that the strength that I have isn't in myself. It's not in me doing it on my own. It comes from him. And that helped me to keep pushing on. And I'm here today because 
of Jesus. And so this year, I'm thankful to God for Jesus. Say something like that. I can be content because God is in control and he's given us enough because he's given us Jesus. So this year, on Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for Jesus. And that's enough. Let's pray. Father, we do give praise and thanks to you because of what you've done for us. All praise to you because of who you are, but we give our thanks to you because you have given us Jesus. Because despite our sin, you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross to cover that sin, and to give us the opportunity to have a life with you, to have a relationship with you again. And we are so eternally thankful for that. And God, I pray for all of us here today that we would remember that this year, that we would remember first and foremost that we are to be thankful to you as the giver of all and to be thankful for Jesus as the one thing in our life that no one can ever take away. And God, I pray that you would use that perspective shift, that you would use that new focus in our life to help us to live for you every day. God, I pray for all of us here that we would see these things, that we would know them, that we would believe them, and then, God, that we would live our new life in you out every day. God, give us the strength to do that and help remind us how wonderful and awesome you are. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.